Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. What happens when someone hits bottom as a result of poor choices and foolish behavior? If that someone is truly loved by another, as the prophet Hosea loved his wife, and as God loves the Jewish people, there remains the prospect of brighter days, as we will see in this fourth episode of I Love You Truly, studies in the book of Hosea. What about this nation? 15 million people strong right now, not really that strong, a small group of people, about 15 million Jews worldwide. Uh, what, what about that group of people and what does the Bible have to say about them? So very quickly, let's just scan what is there. And uh, it might be worth your while to look up some of the passages of Scripture later on on your own. We're not going to be doing that. Uh, but just see how those passages uh, elaborate the point that's made there. First of all, you know this, of course, but I would remind you that God chose the descendants of Jacob. By definition, technically, a Jew is a descendant of Jacob. Yes, he is a descendant of Isaac. Yes, he is a descendant of Abraham. But so are the Muslim peoples, uh, at least descendants of Abraham. Uh, but the real, the real strict definition of who is Jewish is a descendant of Jacob. And God chose these descendants of Jacob uh, out of all of the nations and all of the peoples of the world to have a special relationship with him and to be used by him in a very particular way. Now, an important thing to consider is what was the basis of God choosing that group of people? Why did God choose the Jews? Why didn't he choose the Pennsylvania Dutch? Why did he choose not choose the Welsh? Uh, why did he choose this particular group of people? And uh, if you look later on at Deuteronomy 7, you'll notice that God makes it very clear that he chose Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not based on anything that they had to offer at all, certainly not because they were a bigger nation, a more powerful nation, a more influential nation, but simply because it was his good pleasure to choose that group of people to be his chosen people. That's it. End of story. And then, of course, the question is, what was the purpose of God's election or calling out? That's what the word elect means, literally. What was the purpose of God's calling out the Jews from all of the other nations of the world? Exodus 19 makes it very clear that God's purpose for Israel was that they would be a special group of people to him, that they would be a nation of priests, which means that they would be teaching the world about God. And they would be trying to bring the world, the rest of the world, the Gentiles, to God. That was God's original purpose for the Jewish people. Now we know that that purpose wasn't kept because no one would say today that the 15 million Jews in the world are a kingdom of priests to God. 
that their role is to tell the world about God or to bring the world to God. Number two, we know that God gave his law and his commandments to the Jewish people from Mount Sinai. And that law which God gave, the Torah, the law that God gave to the Jewish people that we find recorded in Exodus 20, uh, which is the record of the giving of the law all the way through uh, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 34. There you find the body of the Torah, the law that God gave to Israel from Mount Sinai. We know also, number three, that God gave a land to the Jewish people. Genesis chapter 15, uh, God promised to Abraham that his descendants would actually have a land. And the boundaries of that land are, are given in Genesis chapter 15. By the way, the boundaries of that land are much beyond the modern state of Israel today. And so when you consider those boundaries, they extended all the way to Mesopotamia, um, to the far east of Israel, and all the way over to Egypt. Uh, but nonetheless, the point is that God gave a land to the Jewish people. This is a point of dispute, of course, uh, among the Palestinians who claim that they have priority uh, value, they have priority claim to the land, but the Jewish people refer to the fact that God gave to their ancestors through Abraham uh, the promise of the land. Number four, though, there was a condition that God gave to the remaining in the land when they finally arrived there, the Jewish people, after their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And that condition was that they would obey the law of God and the commands that he gave to them. And you find that in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And point number five, if they did not do that, if they did not obey God's law and his commands, the consequence of that, now admittedly, he would send prophets to the Jewish people, like Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel. He would send prophets who would call the Jewish people to obedience to God's law repeatedly. But they ignored the prophets. In many cases, they put the prophets to death. And a consequence of their disobedience to God's law, very clearly, Deuteronomy chapter 28, would be that they, the Jewish people, would be expelled from the land. And they would be dispersed throughout the world. The term for that is the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish people. And in fact, that is what we have seen over the centuries. The Jewish people actually starting uh, in 70 AD, particularly in 70 AD, the dispersion of the Jewish people began and it has continued uh, throughout history from 70 AD onward. But God makes it clear in the prophetic scriptures that ultimately he would regather dispersed Israel and he would return them to the land. And he makes it clear in Ezekiel 36 that he would do that not because they deserve to be brought back to the land, but for the sake of his good name. The idea is that throughout the centuries, the nations of the world that see Jewish people living in their land, the nations of the world would say, oh, wait a second, these Jews, they worship Jehovah. They worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And 
And their God gave a land to them uh, through Abraham. Why aren't they there? Why are they here? And in many cases, the conclusion would be, well, apparently their God is not powerful enough, not strong enough to defeat their enemies. And that's why they're here. Well, that is a maligning of the name of God. And God says that for the preservation, the sake of his good name, he would bring the Jewish people back to the land. Point number seven, when the Jews have been regathered to their ancient homeland, they will be at first spiritually dead. You know the vision of Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones? That is Ezekiel chapter 37. And the symbolism is bones that are scattered all over the place. And Ezekiel uh, is given a vision of those bones being gathered back together again. And then there, there is sinew that, that grows on the bones. And then there is skin that grows on the bones. But it still is a dead carcass. And God makes it clear in Ezekiel chapter 37 that that's a picture of Israel. The bones are the regathering of the Jewish people from the nations of the world, but it still is a dead carcass, spiritually dead, until Ezekiel was commanded to command the wind to come and to breathe into, to breathe life into that carcass, and it became a living being. And that remains to happen yet in the future. So what we have seen thus far is the regathering of Jewish people from other parts of the world, but in their regathering, they are still as a nation. Now, there are individual exceptions. Thank God. Praise God. There are individual Jews who have come to faith and have been spiritually born again. Uh, but as a nation, they continue to be spiritually dead. Number eight is that eventually all nations will turn against Israel and they will experience intense persecution. You say, well, that happened in World War II during the Holocaust, right? And the answer is that was a terrible time for the Jewish people. But Jeremiah, the prophet, says in chapter 30, verses 4 through 7, that the worst days of the Jewish people yet lie ahead. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And that remains to take place yet in the future. And then the final point is this that after that time of intense persecution of the Jewish people, Jesus in the future is going to return to the earth in power and glory. He will establish his reign from Jerusalem. And at that time, national Israel will experience spiritual regeneration as a nation. And basically, that is an overview of uh, God's plan for the nation of Israel and for the Jewish people. Now, we're going to see that pardon the pun, thinking of Ezekiel's Valley of the Dry Bones, we're going to see that fleshed out in our study of the book of Hosea. So now, would you take, please, your page of notes and also the text that you have before you? And we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 3, and it is a brief chapter. It's only five verses. Uh, but it is a very relevant uh, chapter of Scripture. Albeit brief, it is very relevant. Uh, it is very relevant for one thing because of the question that we find 
the Apostle Paul asking in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. And that question is this, has God cast away his people, the Jewish people? When you, when you think of the history of the Jewish people, when you think of the diaspora, the dispersion, it would be easy to say, God has given up on Israel. Oh, uh, but think about this. There was that time 2,000 years ago when the Son of God showed up, when Jesus, the long-awaited, long-promised to Israel, Messiah, showed up, and he performed miracles throughout the land. His teaching was unlike the teaching any had ever heard before. And he offered himself to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, as their Messiah. What was their response? They rejected him. And there are those who say that because the Jewish people as a whole rejected Jesus, he has cast them away. In other words, he's done with them. He's finished with them. He will never deal with them as, a, as an entity, as a body, as a group ever again. That's Paul's question in Romans 11.1. 1. Is that so? Has God cast away his people? I should point out to you that there are those in the Christian community, including the evangelical Christian community today, who say, yes, the answer to that question, has God cast away his people, is yes. That God is finished with the nation of Israel. He's not going to do anything with Israel again. He rather has taken all of the promises that have not been fulfilled by the Jewish people, and he has carried them over to another group of people, and that group of people is the church. And that is called replacement theology. But the interesting thing is the Apostle Paul answers his own question in Romans 11.1. 1, when he asks, has God cast away his people? And the answer to that question is, as he gives it, God forbid. No, he has not. Now, that's really what the book of Hosea is all about. It is about God's unconditional love for Israel. Remember, the whole title of the series, the title of the whole series is, I love you truly. God saying to Israel, I love you truly, meaning I love you unconditionally. And even though you turn against me, even though you hurt me, even though you disappoint me, I continue to love you. And I'm not finished with you yet. And that is exhibited in the life of Hosea the prophet. So this brief chapter, Hosea 3, 1 through 5, brings together the tragedy of the unfaithfulness, the infidelity of Hosea's wife, Gomer. Remember her? You remember in the earlier chapters, the previous two chapters, we saw God commanding Hosea, the prophet, to marry a woman and says to Hosea ahead of time, she will be unfaithful to you. She will break your heart because she is going to commit repeated adultery. And you're going to have three children. And in fact, I, God said, through the prophet uh, Hosea, uh, I, I want you to name those three children in such a way that their names will actually connote the unfaithfulness of their mother and the consequence of that unfaithfulness. And you'll remember that the firstborn was a boy, Jezreel, and his name means to scatter. God saying through that boy 
that he would eventually scatter the Jewish people. Then, lo ruchamah, uh, that was a daughter. That's Hebrew for without mercy, without mercy. And God said, she's going to be a symbol of the fact that when I pour out my judgment upon Israel for Israel's infidelity, I am not going to have mercy on Israel at that period of time. They're going to experience defeat, which they did in 722 BC. They're going to experience dispersion and eventually worldwide dispersion. The third child was a son, a second son. His name, Lo-Ami. It means literally in Hebrew. In English, it means not my people. And God says he's going to be a symbolic reminder that because of the unfaithfulness of the Jewish people, uh, it's going to appear as if they're no longer my people. Aha, but that's not the end. And so this chapter through the life of Hosea actually pictures the infidelity of the nation of Israel to their husband, if you will, God. Look at verse one. The Lord said to me, so Hosea says, the Lord God said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. By the way, apparently raisin cakes were a delicacy that was offered to idols and the false gods of the people surrounding the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And so the idea is they turn to other gods uh, and my people love the cakes of raisins that are offered to the false gods. It's very clear there then that uh, what Hosea experienced in his domestic life was a picture of what God was experiencing the Jewish people in Hosea's day and what he would continue to experience by the infidelity of his own people, the nation of Israel. Uh, now, um, the second verse implies, although it doesn't say it directly, but the second verse implies that Gomer's condition, that is the wife of Hosea, had been reduced to that of slavery. After her repeated acts of adultery, we don't know all of the ins and outs of it, but apparently she really came down hard. And the result was that apparently she sold herself into slavery and Hosea bought her, his unfaithful wife, bought her from the slave market. And we find that in verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a letek. That's a measurement, which is actually half a homer. So it's a homer and a half of barley. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. I couldn't help but think when I was reading this and considering it of uh, what the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 referring to Jesus, who really paid the price for us, his followers, to be set free from the bondage of sin and death. Peter says this, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, 
like silver and gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Then you'll notice that in verse 3, that though Gomer was deeply loved by her husband Hosea, that she passed many days after he bought her out of slavery, she passed many days in isolation, separation from experiencing the intimacy of that true love with her husband, Hosea. And that, in fact, provides a poignant picture of Israel's future. So look at verse four, um, verse three, first of all. And I said to her, so after buying her out of slavery, Hosea says to Gomer, you must dwell as mine for many days. In other words, I'm taking you back into my household, but you shall not play the whore anymore. That is, you will not be unfaithful to me anymore. You will not belong to another man, but the next statement, so will I also be to you. In other words, you will not enjoy intimate relations with me. It's true, you will not be allowed to play the harlot with any other man, You'll be living with me, but there will be not that intimacy that there could have been and there should be for many days. You notice that statement. You must dwell as mine for many days. And then God makes the application in his word through Hosea. Verse four, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days. So there's the parallel. Just like Gomer, dwelling many days, not enjoying intimate relations with her husband, so Israel will dwell many days, not enjoying intimate relations with her husband, that is God. The children of Israel, Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Let me break that down for you. What it tells us is that the children of Israel, that is the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, will dwell many days without a national identity. So there it is in verse four. The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince. They will not be recognized as a nation, as a national entity. And I would suggest to you that the fulfillment of that officially was 70 AD. When the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the scattering of the Jewish people began. Uh, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city. And from that time for centuries and centuries, there really was no Jewish nation. Oh, sure, there were Jewish people here and there scattered all over the world. But if someone were to ask you, where is the Jewish state? Where is the Jewish nation? You'd have to say, there is none. They will dwell many days without king or and without prince. But then 1948 came along. That headline, May 14th, the nation of Israel is born. That is the end of that many day period of time. But the children of Israel would also dwell many days without a false religion. Now, that's interesting. 
because a hundred years or so after the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel was invaded by the Babylonians, carried off into captivity to Babylon. We know that there was a remnant of Jewish people who returned from Babylon to rebuild the temple and to live in the land for a period of time. The one thing that that defeat of the southern kingdom and that time of exile brought about was an intense antipathy on the part of the Jewish people toward polytheism. That is the worship of many gods. And so the one thing that the defeat of the southern kingdom and the exile brought about was a commitment, a fierce commitment to monotheism. And so the Jewish people today are recognized as one of the three great monotheistic religions, Islam being one, Christianity being the other, Judaism being the other. In fact, as I shared with you earlier, the summary statement of the Jewish religion is that Shema in Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And so the Jewish people have dwelt many days without a false religion. In verse four, that refers to the uh, the pillar, and that refers to the household gods. The, Jew, the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. The pillar refers to that, that kind of monument that was central to a lot of the false religions of the Middle East. It was a uh, really a, a monument that was set up and that was worshiped. And then, of course, the household gods. So the Jewish people have, in fact, dwelt many days without a false religion. I would suggest to you, by the way, that that's one of the most difficult challenges in Jewish evangelism, sharing with Jewish people that Jesus was not only a great rabbi, a great teacher, because you would find that many, many Jewish people, including the rabbis, would agree Jesus was a great religious leader. Jesus was a great rabbi. He was a great teacher. Ah, but you see, the scriptures make it clear that Jesus claimed not only to be a great teacher, but he claimed to be God. And for the Jewish people, the idea of the Trinity, the idea that there's Jehovah, and now we're being told that Yeshua, Jesus is God as well? That's polytheism. They don't understand the Trinity. It's a good thing that you all do. But that is definitely one of the great challenges. Then, then thirdly, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, will dwell many days uh, without sacrifice or without an ephod. So not only will they dwell many days without a false religion, they will dwell many days without a true religion. Because you see, the sacrifice refers to the sacrifices that were offered in the temple in Jerusalem. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. From there on in, no more sacrifices. The ephod refers to the breastplate of the high priest who served in the temple in Jerusalem. The children of Israel will dwell many days without a high priest, 
without a place to sacrifice. So many days without a true religion. And again, I would suggest to you that that started in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. However, as we have seen in our overview of the major points of the prophetic scriptures having to do with Israel, in the latter days, national Israel will be reunited with Jehovah. And that is verse 5. Afterward, after these many days, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. You know, of course, that Jesus, as a descendant of David, will be sitting on the throne of his father, David, in Jerusalem when he rules and reigns on the earth. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so we see that they will be reunited just as apparently, ultimately, after many days, Hosea was reunited with his unfaithful wife, Gomer as God will be reunited with his unfaithful bride, his unfaithful wife, the Jewish people, as they come to him. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.